Welcome to Lights, Camera, Author. I'm Jim Juno. Agatha Freimuth is a Marie Curie postdoctoral fellow at the University of Ghent in Belgium. Agatha's research concentrates on the relationship between race and silent film, and her work has been published in early popular visual culture, celebrity studies, and cinema journal. In her new book, Damsels and Divas, it investigates the meanings of Europeanness in Hollywood during the 1920s by charting professional trajectories of three movie stars, Paula Negri, Vilma Banke, and Jetta Goodall. It combines the investigation of American fan magazines with the analysis of studio documents and the examination of the narratives of her films to develop a thorough understanding of the ways in which Negri, Banke, and Goodall were understood within the realm of their contemporary American culture. This discussion places their star persona in the context of whiteness, femininity, and Americanization. I talked with Agatha about her new book, Damsels and Divas. Hi, welcome to the show, Agatha Freemus. You have a new book out called Damsels and Divas. And this is the, uh, how are you doing today, first of all? Uh, Yeah, I'm doing well, considering the circumstances. (laughs) Are you quarantined like the rest of us? Yeah, like everyone else in the world, yep. Well, I tell you what, that's what, we practice social distancing. I'm in Richmond, Virginia, in the United States. You are over in London? I'm currently in Bristol, which is also in the UK, but not exactly London, yep. All right. Well, I appreciate appreciate you doing this and technology is existing so we can we can touch base with you. Uh, now, your new book is called Damsels and Divas, and it's basically the story of three silent movie actresses from Europe who came over to the United States. Correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Your book, Damsels and Divas, is the story of three silent movie actresses, all who hailed from the European continent, uh, Jetta Goodall, Vilma Banke, and Paula Negri. And the amazing thing is they all lived to be over 90, and they were all without children. Yes, that's correct. And they were all uh, very similar ages. So Jetta Goodall was um, the oldest of all of them, because she was born in uh, 1891, uh, but then when she actually started working in um, the U.S., she made herself look 10 years younger. Uh, so very, very similar uh, sort of age gap. Yeah, she changed, She uh, shaved 10 years off her birth date, didn't she? Yeah, although, I mean, I'm slightly doubtful whether she actually personally did that or whether the studio actually thought that, well, you know, we should do it because the younger the better. That's right. Well, especially to this day, that seems to be the case in Hollywood, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Now, I'm going to deal with Jetta Goodall here because um, she basically, first off, she lived a, an exciting life. It looked like uh, up until up until she decided to take on the studio system, didn't she? Yes, she did. And I think... Um... Jetta, for me specifically, is probably a really exciting or the most exciting actress to to talk about because she's 
relatively uh, unknown, and yet she really uh, had this massive legal battles against studios, um, including uh, a legal battle with Cecil B. DeMille, uh, which I think uh, a lot of people would uh, probably know. You don't have to be interested in silent film to actually know Cecil B. DeMille. And uh, she won. Uh, so she won. Uh, she, um, um, so, so Cecil B. DeMille, the story goes, Cecil B. DeMille, um, this re res so uh, she, uh, he broke her contract uh, he didn't really pay her the money that he was supposed to pay her. Uh, she took him to court and uh, all the publicity for that very case was very negative of her. So she was presented as someone who's very sly in trying to, to get this money from this wonderful genius director, Cecil B. DeMille. Uh, and even after she actually won the case and she was granted um, $31,000, uh, so a lot of money uh, at that point, and yet still uh, the magazines are saying, well, look at her, what a horrible, horrible woman, right? So there's, a, there's definitely a very sort of sexist undertone to the way in which this case was portrayed in American press. And that, and it made fascinating reading because, I mean, she basically, a lot of accusations were thrown at her from DeMille saying that she was very hard to work with. She was, she was uh, temperamental. Yes, that's, that's exactly that word, that very word that you just said is just like coming up so many times, which is, I mean, kind of ridiculous if you think about it, that that's the adjective that they use over and over again. But really, you don't make the. I mean, she was a top draw, even though she's not well known nowadays. She was a top draw back in the early part of the 1920s up to about maybe 20, 1925. So you don't you don't get to be the top draw if you're a temperamental actress. No, and I think another issue is that if you look at um, the actual uh, court case. Uh, I think Cecil B. DeMille extended her contract. Uh, so only four months before he broke her contract, he gave her an extension. So uh, one of the arguments was, well, if she was really that terrible to work with, because, you know, like the argument was that she's been so difficult to work with for a really long time. Uh, so why would you then uh, extend her contract only four months before you make that accusation? Um, and another thing that I find particularly interesting is that um, the telegrams, the communication between Cecil B. DeMille uh, and Jette Goudal is actually in um, Margaret Herrick Library, uh, which is in LA, in Beverly Hills. So can I actually, uh, well, you have to go there, of course, you have to sign, so, like it's not super easy to, to get in, but you can go in. Uh, and you can actually see the correspondence between them, which is uh, really, really interesting. And they're both very nice to each other. Even when they disagree, there's this notion of respect. And it's quite an interesting way of like seeing how they dealt with it, even when they had a disagreement and quite a serious disagreement, considering that they it was a legal one. Now, how did you find out about, because I'll be honest with you, I'm, I mean, uh, I love silent movies. I've seen a lot of them, but these two of the three names, Goodall and Banky, um, are not well known to me. How did you find out about the basically the uh -huh. bondage uh, and 
between the first of the correspondence between Cecil Bill, Cecil B. DeMille and her? Hmm. Uh, well, so I think my journey, and when you say, uh, well, they were not well known to me, I mean, that's absolutely understandable. And in fact, even when I talk to silent film scholars, a lot of them don't know who Vilma Banki was. Vilma Banki, yes, but Jetta Goudal was. Uh, so for me, it's personally, this journey started with Paula Negri. Uh, and I think what's sort of one quick side note um, is that because I'm Polish and uh, Paula Negri is still um, quite a big name in Poland, even amongst the people who know nothing about silent film. So if you can imagine that, uh, if you say the name Paula Negri, she's this symbol of someone who made it internationally, a Polish woman who made it to Hollywood. Uh, so that kind of started, this fascination started for me when I was a teenager. Uh, and then once you start reading um, silent, so so I'm really interested in magazines from the time period, magazines from 1920s, you kind of start seeing certain names coming up. Uh, and often names uh, next to, uh, na names being mentioned next to Paula Negri's name. Uh, and actually that was the case with both Vilma Banki and Jetta Goodall. So often Jetta Goodall, um, there's this uh, really um, great article about Jetta Goodall that uh, basically starts with a sentence, um, I mean, more or less, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, uh, not since Paula Negri arrived uh, to this country uh, have we had such a great actress. So this is about Goudal. So they're really uh, compared quite often in terms of being very glamorous, uh, beautiful, but also difficult to work with, allegedly. Uh, and this is how I actually found out about her. So, so it started from the magazines and then uh, the movies followed. They were all what you would consider vamps, weren't they? Uh, uh, sorry, would you say vamps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vamps, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. And um, which was... Well, actually, actually, Goodall, sorry, uh, just kind of going back to that. I definitely, uh, Goodall, yes, of course, and so was Negri, but actually Vilma Banki was not. Oh, okay. Could that be because she was with, uh, I want to say, uh, not MGM, but Goldwyn? Instead, yes, yes. They were that's a different studio than the than uh, Goodall and Negri. Uh, I don't think. I mean, yes, that that's correct, and that's definitely uh, has something to do with that. But I think uh, once you really start looking at um, the, what was written about Vilma Banki, you will see that um, these magazines often pay attention to how stars look. Uh, so when you read the descriptions of Ajata Kudal, you read some uh, absolutely great, very lyrical, very poetic descriptions that call her oriental, that call her sort of ethnically, like she's presented as someone who has dark hair, it's maybe a little bit ethnically ambiguous. Paula Negri, again, is like a volcano, like Etna, like all this kind of crazy, very uh, flamboyant descriptions. But Vilma Banki is blonde, she's uh, beautiful in a very sort of, well, the magazines call her, uh, that she has this very universal kind of beauty. Uh, and of course, what they mean when they say universal really is that she's not exotic. She right. is blonde, she has blue eyes. Uh, and I think that's particularly interesting because when we, of course, 
this is not something that registers with us straight away when we watch a silent movie because of course these movies are black and white so we kind of that's sort of not very very obvious to us but to people who watch these movies then who's seen this amazing um colorful um painted covers of uh, fan magazines they were absolutely they, they knew that uh, Vima Banki has blue eyes and she has blonde hair. Which basically, she set the tone for people like Jean Harlow and and Marilyn Monroe, um, Jane Mansfield up to the modern day. Yeah, you can say that she was a very she was a very famous blonde. Yeah, and I, I mean I'm trying to think of anybody who would predate her uh, with like the blonde bombshell type of type of. Uh, persona no and like another um, really interesting um article that i found about um banki was that uh, so she was hungarian but uh she was never really uh spoken about as someone uh, like as i said she was seen as very sort of wholesome type of beauty and in fact one article actually said uh, and this is one of my favorite quotes that her beauty registers as Anglo-Saxon in front of the camera. So you can really see, yes, I mean, what does it mean, right? Uh, but really, I mean, that, you know, she's more English than the English. So she's so white and so uh, so kind of, you know, like English looking, let, let's say, that she's very easy to... Uh, become American, if that makes sense. So yeah. she's easily assimilated into this notions of sort of, she's almost waspy and she's almost white and Protestant. Well, you know, and also it's a time of the time of the era because I mean, the world war one had just gotten over. Um, yep. and you know, it, people were wanting to see, I guess you would say American or Americanization films. Um, they look. They don't look, uh, except for Rudolph Valentino. They don't look um, Latin or or Asian or you know. There are very few of those actors around after World War One, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't look uh, white? You say? Yes, Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think some people. I mean, it's absolutely true. You don't really have well. Asian actresses, apart from well, uh, maybe Anna Mae Wong, right? Uh, but yes, it's it's very difficult. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to break through for someone who, you know, isn't Caucasian. You're listening to Lights Camera Author, and I'm talking to Agatha Frymus about her new book, Damsels and Divas. Now, Rilma Banki. Uh, we're moving on to the next the next of uh, the three, Hungarian Rhapsody. You mentioned she's she's from Hungary, mm-hmm. but she's American, which is something you, I never realized you can get away with in silent movies. You don't hear the accents, you don't. Yeah. Yes, of course, you don't hear the accents. So um, her first movie um, with uh, Ronald Coleman, uh, it's called Dark Angel, and she's she's an English character there, and she often portrays. I mean, characters. She's not particularly exotic in that sense. That. Yeah, of course, she can, she can get away with it, like you say, because how would people know, right? They can't hear her. Right, and and really, you know, like her and Goodall, both, their careers 
ended with when talkies came in, even though they did do they did do one or two sound movies, didn't they? Yes, uh, they did. And I think one of the issues was especially for uh, for Banky, because um, you, you mentioned Goldwyn before. And yes. Goldwyn um, was, of course, very worried that uh, how because she was the biggest moneymaker for him. And because of that, he was aware that once sound arrives, uh, once talkies are really popular, he won't be able to capitalize on her anymore. Uh, so, so one of so her talkie uh, uh, that she made um, the title escapes me now. Something to do with heaven. I'll, I'll check that later. Uh, but anyway, in that movie, she this is heaven. Put... Yeah. sorry, this, this is heaven. Uh, it might be actually, yeah. From 1929. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. Thank you. Uh, okay. So, so in that movie, she plays um, a, an Eastern European immigrant, a beautiful Eastern European immigrant who, of course, falls in love with an American uh, entrepreneur. Um, and of course, you can see why he thought that's a good idea, right? Because he thought, well, now people can can hear her accent, so we have no choice but to cast her in this sort of role. She can't really, uh, you know, get away with portraying American women. But of course, before she's portraying these glamorous uh, women, sort of in period dramas, and and all of us, and really the audiences didn't like it. They just felt a bit kind of cheated. They sort of thought, well, wait a minute, this is not my glamorous, beautiful sort of Vilma Banky that I want, you know? Yes. It's it 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 eliminated the illusion that yes. that people had developed. You know, they they all they all think of her sounding one way and when she actually speaks, all of a sudden the the illusion is shattered. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I like how you how you framed it because it is about the. I mean, cinema still. I mean, even now, of course, cinema is different now. But it's all about the certain illusions, and once these illusions are shattered, there's nowhere to go. Well, that's why Charlie Chaplin, I believe, kept his uh, tramp character silent for so many years. He was worried it would it would spoil the illusion there, you know. <laughs> now, Paula Negri, one of my favorites. <laughs> everyone's favorite everyone's favorite i tell you what i mean she she was not just a character on film but she was a character in real life too i mean she when she came over to america she was already well known wasn't she she was mm -hmm. one of the top actresses in europe i like how you say it because it sounds almost as if you were around to, to sort of, like, you know, oh, when she, I remember when she came to America, it was exciting times. You know? I'm 140 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she was, she was one of the top draws in the European cinema, wasn't she? Oh, yes, of course. It was, As... it was a big risk for her coming to America. It was a big risk. So kind of a quick background uh, is that at the time she was known in America because of her German movies uh, she made with Ernst Lubitsch. Uh, and Adolf Zucker, uh, basically, uh, so, so a film producer, Adolf Zucker thought to himself, right, so at this point we're importing all these German movies uh, to the US uh, and they are actually selling quite well at their box office successes. 
even though uh, there was an issue there, of course, because as you mentioned before, this is shortly after the end of the First World War. So you could probably imagine that there is quite a lot of anti-German sentiment going on. Uh, like Americans and even magazines kind of say, wait a second, should we really be supporting German film industry where we have you know, our own national film industry to support? So when Adolf Zucker makes this decision, to, uh, so he decides to actually bring Paul Negri uh, to Hollywood and bring Ernst Lubitsch to Hollywood to make movies with them in America because they already have this uh, status of, of stars, of a star and of a um, successful film director. And at that point, he's very aware of this xenophobic sentiments. And he's actually even, uh, he actually sent a telegram to one of his executives saying, we need to make sure they're not coming together. Uh, I, I don't really know why he thought, I mean, you can kind of see why he thought that maybe bringing them both together is a bit of an issue that maybe the press will be writing about it as a very sort of, you know, German invasion, Hollywood. So so he was very aware of this, this uh, being a problem. Let me ask you one thing about Paula Negri. Do you, now, her, mm -hmm. she had a connection with, uh, with Rudolf Valentino also. Um, that she was supposed to be married to him, I believe, until, until uh, well, he passed away, unfortunately. Yes. So, uh, um, well, the story with because you call it a connection. So what? So I mean, do you think it's true? Like personally, do you think it's true that they were they were about to be married? Well, I know that I know that you know from that Banky had the uh, had a, a real. He she was one of Valentino's favorite actresses. Because she mm -hmm. appeared in several of his movies, um, Paul Negri, you know, you ask a very good question: Is it true that they were going to be married? I think there was a relationship there, mm -hmm. and I think maybe she wanted to get married. Mm -hmm. um, uh, from what I was reading about his funeral, though, she kind of she kind of went overboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she overdid it, definitely. Um, I mean, so um, my opinion on this is, so of course, yes, there's the story that uh, they had this very intense, passionate love affair. Uh, then uh, he dies uh, in 1926. And then, uh, yes, as, as you say, she, she, she goes overboard at the funeral. Um, <laughs> and I think one important thing to mention, actually, is that when you look at the timelines, they actually haven't been together uh, for very long, which makes it, I guess, perhaps maybe even more tragic. Um, but I guess it also goes to show why the public saw that, uh, thought that she went uh, overboard. So they start sort of, uh, the press talks about them, let's call it dating. Of course, they don't really call it dating at the time, but uh, for the sake of the argument, let's call it dating. So they start seeing each other uh, in spring 1926 and in the summer, of the same year he dies. So uh, it's a very brief affair if you think about it that way. Who, who can who uh, would you say affected the other person more or or basically was did um did Polo Negri have an effect on Vilma Banky how she was presented in Jetta Goodall or or Banky uh, affected how Negri was portrayed? Who do you mm -hmm. think was there was there uh, a copying and if so who copied who? That's a great question. Uh, I think in a set, I think if we look at the timeline, 
then of course Paula Negri was the first, right? So she starts this trend, this vogue for uh, European actresses when she comes uh, to America in 1922. And then the other, so, so um, Vilma Banki comes um, to uh, Hollywood in 1925. Uh, then Goudal, um, I mean, it's not quite so straightforward with her, but let's say her first movie, uh, first movie starring her comes in 1923. Um, so in a sense, Negri kind of set this pattern for, for other European actresses to follow. Uh, but there's lots of uh, kind of overlap between them. So like you, you just mentioned, of course, uh, most people would be aware of the fact that uh, Valentino Negri, Negri had this affair. Uh, but then, uh, of course, Banky was paired with Valentino on screen in two movies. Uh, Goudard was compared to Negri, or even Banky and Negri were compared, actually. So, so, so they were supposedly very different visually. Uh, so Banky was known for, uh, again, blonde hair, but also very a thoughtless look. And maybe not wearing makeup or very simple, whereas uh, Negri was the opposite, right? So kind of that uh, furnished the magazines with something to talk about. So so it's very difficult to actually figure out who sort of started. They were they were all influencing each other, I'd say. I would imagine that when Greta Garbo came over, that that she was influenced by them also. Oh, yes, definitely. And it's actually a great article that, that compares Goudal uh, and Garbo specifically and that talks about them as mysterious. So, so yes, absolutely. Uh, that's absolutely right. Well, fantastic. Well, Agatha, I've really enjoyed talking to you about this book. It's been fantastic. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, too. I'm surprised that uh, it just happened so quickly. <laughs> Book, the book coming out so quickly? Oh, no, like, the, well, the book came out quickly, too, actually, came out earlier than, but uh, no, I was referring to the conversation. I felt like, what, yeah. Yes, uh, well, I tell you what, I'm just so glad you did this. And I, like I said, I appreciate it. Oh, like, oh, thank you so much. And also, it's, uh, it's great to talk to someone who, you know, has a certain notion of who these stars were, and, I mean... I don't know if you just prepared for this specific interview or if if you sort of knew maybe Vilma Banki or Son of Sheik, but it was like a great, great job. You can find more information about the book Damsels and Divas at RutgersUniversityPress.org. For our Light Camera author, I'm Jim Juno.